We have a lot of discussions about being sure that we're preparing for the future, maybe for retirement. We need to make investments with the resources that we have. And for many of us, in that whole world of investing, there is an ignorance as to what would be the wisest course to follow. And therefore, there are many individuals who have as their profession to be financial counselors, so that they can look at what money or resources one wishes to invest and to find the most beneficial way to do so, that you will receive a profit, a benefit, a reward from your investment. Now, one of the things that you will learn from that financial counselor, or if you are personally studying this whole realm of finances and investing, that there is always risk involved. And what you will learn is that if you're looking for the maximum return on your investment, the risk is often much higher. If you're not concerned about having that maximum return on your investment, then the risk and what you'll invest in may be much less. Risk and reward in investing go hand in hand. Life is like that. Life has risks. And if I am to receive the profit, the reward in life, as I face the risks, I need to be sure I am investing myself as I go through life in that which will give me the best reward. Solomon wants us to understand that. And that's his focus in the passage that we have before us in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. If you look with me in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, to keep it in its context, I would like to begin reading in verse 1 and read through verse 11. Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart directs him toward the right, but the foolish man's heart directs him toward the left. Even when the fool walks along the road, his sense is lacking, and he demonstrates to everyone that he is a fool. If a ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, like an error that goes forth from the ruler. Folly is set in many exalted places, while rich men sit in humble places. I have seen slaves riding on horses, and princes walking like slaves on the land. He who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones may be hurt by them, 
and he who splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. If the serpent bites before being charmed, there is no profit for the charmer. Now we've been looking in the book of Ecclesiastes and for those that have been following methodically through its study together with me, we know it's a book of wisdom given to us by Solomon. And the book of Ecclesiastes addresses, to me, one of the most fundamental, important issues for every human being. Where do you find fulfillment? Where do you find meaning? Where do you find benefit? Where do you find purpose in life? Now, sadly, some individuals have looked at the book of Ecclesiastes as being a perspective that comes from someone that has no relationship with God. But as we've tried to point out in our studies, Solomon makes it very clear at the end of the book that the things that he is giving in this instruction is truth that comes from one shepherd. And so rather than being an erroneous outlook on life, Solomon is providing us with the appropriate, and may I say the only appropriate, outlook on life. What he tells us in chapters 1 through 6 is that the world clamors after things in this world. And it doesn't matter what man pursues, he is always going to be left empty. Vanity of vanities. If he lives for entertainment, if he lives for personal pleasure, Whatever it may be that man pursues, it is emptiness, the basic meaning of vanity. In other words, it may give you joyful stimulation for a moment, but you always need something more. It never completely satisfies. Instead, Solomon says, the place you need to have your focus is in the Lord. And building one's life on Him is what provides fulfillment, satisfaction, meaning, and purpose in life. It's the refrain that we have seen Solomon repeatedly use throughout this book. And just to remind us, look with me quickly back in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 and 25. Solomon says, There is nothing better for a man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen, it is from the hand of God. And again, this is not the Epicurean concept, let's eat and drink and be merry because tomorrow we die. This is rather the recognition, all that I have is because God has been pleased to bless me with it. And God has intended for me to enjoy his blessings. And we had looked in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul brings that same truth out, in particular as he wrote to Timothy. And then notice how Solomon, in this passage, reminds us of the fact that the blessings we have and the ability to enjoy them has to do with a relationship with God. Verse 25, For who can eat? And who can have enjoyment without him? Your life 
is invested in something. And sadly, the people who don't know Christ are investing his or her life. They're investing their life in the things which will never give satisfaction or fulfillment. And as Christ made it so very clear in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're living for man's praise, if you're living for the things of this world, you have been paid in full. That's all you're going to get. You've invested your life in the temporal. And all you're going to reap as your reward, your profit for your investment, is temporal. If you invest your life in the things of the Lord, it goes beyond the grave, doesn't it? There's Paul, Philippians 1. For me to live, Christ. And to die, gain. If all you're living for is the toys and the trinkets of this world, you leave this world with nothing. So Christ would say, don't lay up your treasures on earth where thieves can break in and steal, where they just begin to deteriorate, right? Moth and rust corrupt. But lay your treasures up in heaven has eternal value. And there is reward with it. Look over in verse um, 7 of chapter 9, the section right before us. Go then, he says, eat your bread in happiness, drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Why? For God has already approved your works. If you are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. And the recognition is that God's at work in your daily life. He's given you the things that he has for you to utilize them as a resource for the needs that you have and for the blessing of others all to the glory of God. God's already approved your works. You're not living your life to try to gain his merit or his favor. It's the reality that you have invested your life in Christ as one who has been the recipient of his grace. And therefore... The blessings that are associated with it. Let your clothes be white at all times. Don't let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your life, which he has given you under the sun, for this is your reward in life and your toil for which you have labored under the sun, etc. And whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In the New Testament, we would say, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Because you are serving Christ and not man, etc. What are you investing your life in? Solomon says, you won't find meaning, you won't find purpose, you won't find fulfillment unless you are building your life upon the foundation of the Lord and are focused on Him. And it isn't that you think, well, if I live for this world, I'm happy. If I live for Christ, I'm miserable. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Those who live for the Lord have an underlying joy, an underlying blessing and benefit that they will never find in this world. Christ even stated it as follows. In the world you'll have tribulation, but what? Thank you. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And what has he just said about your situation in the world? 
In the world you have tribulation. If you were of the world, the world would love you. But because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world will hate you. In other words, your life will be faced with difficulties. And that's what Solomon is saying here. The social order is all askewed. The reality is that wisdom is beneficial. And in the second half of the book of Ecclesiastes, that's what Solomon is telling us. It's almost like Ecclesiastes 7 through 12 is a a smaller form of the book of Proverbs. Where he keeps saying, here are proverbial things that you need to understand that are essential and beneficial for you in your daily life. Now what have we been seeing in the section, immediate section before us? It is the fact that while wisdom is so beneficial, just a little bit of folly, just a little bit of sin, just like the dead fly in the perfumer's oil, can destroy it. It has great impact. And so instead of being glib or careless as one goes through life, I need to recognize my utter dependence upon God and the wisdom that he alone can give to direct my steps. And as he evaluated that need and he looked at the things in life, having stated that wisdom is essential to face life's difficulties, you'll notice he says in verse 5, There's an evil that I've seen under the sun. And this phrase translated, or word translated evil, does not always mean sinful. It means something that is bad, something that's detrimental, something that's difficult or hard. And what Solomon says is, there's something I have seen that is detrimental for the individual as we go through life. And what is it? Well, notice he says in verse 7, or excuse me, verse 5, it's like an error which goes forth from a ruler. So think about this for a moment. This bad situation, this difficulty that I've seen is similar to, it is, it's something that could be compared to the person who is in charge making a foolish, incorrect, mistaken decision. What happens? Well, we can think about it in our own culture. If our governor makes a bad decision, we're all affected. If our president makes a bad decision, the whole nation is going to suffer because of it. And Solomon says there are things in life that are detrimental, just like the ruler who makes the foolish or mistaken decision for what ought to be done. It is going to have a profound detrimental impact upon other people. And what is it that he said he has seen, that he's observed, that could be compared to an incorrect decision made by a ruler? And you know what it is? Seeing society turned upside down. Seeing individuals who are incompetent in places of leadership. I believe it's the Peter principle, isn't it? Where everybody's promoted to their level of incompetency. So you do a good job and they promote you to a position that you don't have the ability to take care of. So Solomon says, I look at life and I see Many incompetent individuals who are in places of authority over others. 
Now that doesn't mean God isn't still in control. Remember, even Nebuchadnezzar had to learn that truth that we have recorded for us in Daniel chapter 4. That God is the one that puts one ruler in place and then he takes another and replaces that ruler with someone else. And he says he takes the basis of men and puts them in the position of authority. Because God wants man to realize man can't handle man's problems. Only God can. We have no other hope but what the Lord can do to take care of us in our time of need. And we so foolishly think, well, I can live my life on my own, make my own decisions. You're no different than the ruler who makes the mistaken decision. It's going to be detrimental to you and it will impact others as well. It's so a little folly destroys much honor and good. And Solomon says, I look at society and individuals who ought to be in the places of power, of leadership, are walking, they're ignored instead of put in that position. Now here it says the rich, but the term that is translated rich does not just mean these are the individuals who have financial resources. In that culture, it's looking at the theocracy of what God established for the nation of Israel. And just like he mentioned about the poor wise man in the city who had the capability of delivering that little village from the army that was invading, but as soon as they were delivered, nobody remembered that poor man. Individuals who have the wisdom and the skill and the ability to take care of the problems are ignored. And instead, individuals, either because they're owed a political favor, or because they have a winsome personality, or at times because they're out of the same cookie cutter in which we're cut out of, that is bad to the bone, they get put in places of authority, And they don't have the capability of handling it. So what is it you and I are going to face in life? Injustice. Decisions by people over us who are detrimental. Problems in life that we're not sure how we should handle it. And so what is it we need? The wisdom that only comes from God. Your life will have problems. You are going to at times cry out, that's not fair. You're going to turn on the news and think, how horrific that someone could do that. And what we need to recognize is those individuals who are doing unjust, corrupt things are only manifesting what's true of the human heart apart from grace. And that's you, that's me, if I am not an individual that's been given new life in Jesus Christ. The world in which we live is under whose dominion? The power of darkness. And the power of darkness is doing everything that he can to keep the world in chaos and in confusion. And the child of God is to invest his daily life, 
in a way that it is for his or her own benefit. And to do so is to recognize there's risk in life. And if I am not investing in the right thing, it will be detrimental to me. Now, how does he bring that out? Notice what he says in the next section. In verse 8, he says, The one who digs a pit may fall into it, and a serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. And I think rightly so, people who have commented on the book of Ecclesiastes recognize that verses 8 through 11 are a unit of seven little proverbial statements. Because notice the conclusion, or what we find in verse 11. If the serpent bites, what was found in verse 8? A serpent who bites. And so he's putting together a unit to help us better understand life has difficulties. And no matter what you do, there's a risk. He says, if you dig a pit, what could happen? You can fall into it. Or even more so, like once in a while we hear on the news, trying to dig the um, hole that's necessary for utilities or for a mine shaft, whatever else, Involved in that livelihood, some individuals lose their lives. There's risks with that endeavor. Or if I'm tearing down a wall, so I'm pulling something down to build up something new. In the world of construction, regardless of what it is you're doing, whether you're working with electricity, whether you're working with uh, the building material, whether you're involved in doing the plumbing or you're taking care of the gas that has to be brought into that facility, guess what? There's risk. There's risk. Life has risks. Then he goes on and he says... He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. Um, trying to hammer away and break a stone to get it out of your way. Fragments fly. People can get injured. An eye can be knocked out. That's the point he's making. Human endeavors, living each day entails risks. If you're the one that's chopping wood, You're in danger because of the axe. In our day, we talk about the chainsaws. People have lost their hand. People have been killed. Or, let's bring it more into our modern world. Every time you get out on the highway, there's risks. There's accidents all over. Now it's compounded by the fly and the perfumer's oil. It's called road rage. You never know who's the individual there that may not like the way you're driving and want to eliminate you from the scene. Everything we do in life has risks. Now, if I bring it into its spiritual standing, and what we need to understand is, I have no guarantee beyond the moment, do I? I need to be sure I'm prepared for what may eventually befall me. That is, to face my God. 
And I have no guarantee that I'm going to live to be 80, 90, or 100. Right, Martha? We have no guarantees. The reality is, we don't know the time in which God has appointed for us to die. Wisdom says, you know, life has risks. And there are no certainties that what you do would not bring, be harmful to you. Therefore, you better be ready, having invested in what gives you the best outcome. And what is that? The wisdom that comes from God. Without that wisdom, I don't know how to face the uncertainties, the risks, the difficulties in life. And so to summarize that idea, Solomon says, if the axe is dull, what do you have to do? Exert more strength. But if you take the time to sharpen it, In other words, if you take the right precautions with the risks that you have to face, if you learn how to work smarter instead of harder, it's for your benefit. You sharpen the axe. You don't have to exert as much strength. So wisdom has the advantage in giving success. Now some individuals might get develop such phobias, they say, oh man, if I know it's that risky out there, I better back off and do nothing. Well, the reality that we need to understand is the only person that's never failed at doing something is the one that's never tried to do something. If at first you don't succeed, what are you supposed to do? Try, try again. And it's a recognition that as we go through the difficulties in life, as we face problems, it may knock us down. But from the Lord, the Lord says, get up and try again. Utilize the wisdom that comes from Him for your own benefit. We face risks in life. We see injustices and things that aren't fair. We get emotionally um, hit with some of the tragedies that happen to people. And sometimes they hit very home as members of our own family or even to ourselves. It's risky. So I better be sure that my life is invested in what is reward. What is profitable? It needs to be invested in the Lord. Because from his mouth comes wisdom. The wisdom to understand the world in which I live. That it's more than the temporal that I see. That the powers of darkness are trying to work to destroy what is good. And to take captive God's people. Peter would say, be sober. Be vigilant. You know why? Your adversary, the devil, stalks around like a roaring lion for what purpose? Seeing who he may devour. Being a child of God is risky. But thanks be to God, his grace keeps us. The other point that Solomon makes in this, as it says in verse 11, 
is that if the serpent bites before it was charmed, so I got a serpent, I got a nest of rattlesnakes, I want to get rid of them, so I call in the expert to take care of the problem. And as I'm pointing out to him where the problem is, boom, I get bitten. No need for the charmer anymore. No need for the, ser- uh, for the expert. The serpent has already bitten the individual. So what does he say? Therefore, there's no profit to the charmer. So what is Solomon also indicating to us as you and I face difficulties in life, we face problems that the reward comes from utilizing the wisdom that God has given at the appropriate time. You need to strike when? When the iron's hot. You need to take advantage of the opportunities that are before you and when you see them to utilize the wisdom that God has given so that it ends up being for your profit or for your benefit. What Solomon is letting us know in this section that the wisdom that God bestows on his people that is essential for having a relationship with him because where is the foundation or the basis for it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It gives us the ability to see life for how it really is. It enables us to understand why man has such great abilities. He was created in the image of God. It also enables us to see why man can do such horrific things. Because there's none good, there's none righteous. All have sinned and fall short of his glory. And it's a recognition that if God in grace doesn't deliver me from my sin and from myself, I am justly condemned in my sin. But in Jesus Christ, there is not only forgiveness, but he becomes to us not only righteousness and sanctification, but also wisdom in the Lord. And it gives us the practical skill to deal with the perplexities, the injustices, the difficulties in life in the appropriate way that it's for our best good and for his glory. Every one of us faces difficulties and problems. Every one of us knows what it is to get knocked down by things that we confront in life. And the reality is, God is the one who gives us the skill to know what is the best thing to do in this difficulty, that it might bring glory to his name and be for my benefit and for the benefit of those associated with me. Life has risks and life has rewards. And what you invest your life in will determine the reward that you receive. If you invest your life in the things of this world, you're paid in full with the empty trinkets that temporal things will give. And just like now when we're thinking about Christmas, 
Not one child who sees all the advertisements goes to mom and dad and says, I'm happy with the toys I already have. I don't need something new this Christmas. The reality is, man who focuses on this world says, Oh, I need that to be happy. I need that to be fulfilled. So if you invest in the temporal, all you'll get is vanity of vanities. But if you invest in the eternal, for me to live is Christ. The real reward is the riches of glory that God gives to his people. And as we go through these times of difficulties, he gives us a song to carry us along. He provides us with a joy that only comes from the one in whose presence is the fullness of joy forevermore. Let's pray.